Hi, Pop Pod. This is Alexa here from Pouring Over Pages. Disclaimer alert. I'd like to apologize for this episode's audio quality. I may be a jack of all trades, but not an audio engineer, so I somehow messed up the setting on our mics when we recorded this episode. I hope this doesn't deter you from listening because it is an amazing episode with a great special guest. Big shout out to Denise Faxis for helping me clean up the audio to make it presentable for your ears. Now, without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to Pouring Over Pages, a podcast of words in one. I'm Alexa. And I'm Maritza. Let's get lit on literature. Popping bottles, reading novels. So this is exciting for a few reasons. We absolutely cannot wait to dive into this book for the simple fact that Darwin Rodriguez is here. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was gonna go into like a little spiel and then talk about how amazing you are and that we have an educator as a guest, but I couldn't really contain my excitement. Um, This is such a special book. This is educated by Tara. Westover. This is a book that was very, very popular a few years ago. It was even on Obama's favorite books of the year. Uh, And it's just received a lot of hype. It's been really, really popular and very controversial as well. So we're going to be discussing that with Darwin. And Darwin will give you a chance to tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, And then, of course, as always, Alexa will dive into the wine. Alexa, why don't you give us a little bit of a preview of what's going to happen? So um, I'm doing something a little different this time. We have two wines today. Um, Throughout this book, there's a lot of themes around um, then and now self, like before and after educated, essentially. So I thought I would do the same with us, and I grabbed a then and now wine. I picked up a Yellowtail Pinot Grigio, which College Alexa would jump, you know, chug down very quickly. Um, oh. <laughs> I picked a now wine, a now Pinot Grigio. They're both Pinot Grigios, which is the type of wine I would drink now. So, and I'll dive into more of that later. So it's your 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 development story. Exactly, just like Tara. <laughs> through through wine. So Darwin, thank you for joining us. Um as some of you already know, because I just said it, Darwin is an incredible educator and has years of experience, and this was the perfect book for him to come on and talk to us about. But Darwin, I'm going to let you tell us a little bit about your your background, your experience, and, and what you thought about this book. Sure. Um, again, I'm so um, excited to be here and humbled that you guys are bringing me out as a guest. I'm also a listener, um, so I was definitely uh, humming along in my head at the beginning of the recording with the like, you know, the jingle. <laughs> um, but uh, so again, about myself, um, so I have the pleasure of working with Alexa and Maritza, and I like to think that, um, you know, in terms of what I do at the museum, my job is to help everybody understand or, or, you know, be able to enter the museum on the ground floor, so to speak. I don't know if that makes any sense. I know that some of the things and the themes that we deal with in contemporary art can be pretty complex, um, pretty high-minded, and I think that's okay and that's necessary. Um, So I feel like as an educator, my job is to sort of bridge the gap and meet people where they are and spark curiosity. If we can get them to ask more questions, um, I think I, th- I think I've done my job. 
Um, <laughs> so, uh, about my experience. All right, so I was a um, teacher, a public school teacher, um, for seven years originally. Um, I My career as an educator started uh, officially um, in Hialeah. I see that good progress, huh? <laughs> um, 305 through and through. <laughs> um, and I started teaching as a middle school civics teacher, which was actually a lot of fun in hindsight. But I was already, um, I don't know, I was sort of second guessing sort of what my role was in, in that capacity. You know, once I'd sort of gotten my like, teacher legs, I was like, okay, there's a lot going on here. And, uh, you know, I. I cannot continue without saying that I'm an educator because somebody saw that in me. I had a mentor, her name was Karen, who um, I met through my sister, who was her student. Um, and we were, we, we became friends and she said, you have this gift of educating. You're, you're good at this. And you know, when you're in your twenties, drinking yellowtail, <laughs> um, <laughs> and someone sort of, you know, sort of nominates you in that way. Um, it really altered the trajectory of my life. So uh, after I graduated from, from college and I, I started teaching, I'm, I'm alighting a lot, uh, she was my mentor, but she um, developed breast cancer and she passed away uh, after my first year teaching. Um, so I inherited her work. She was the only teacher that taught um, AP European history and that was sort of my wheelhouse. I always did well with like art history and and, and history generally, and, and she told my principal, she's like, Darren is the only person here who could take this on. So I started teaching an, an advanced placement course in my 20s, which is very rare because most AP teachers are hella old. <laughs> um, and, and immediately I was like, okay, I'm, I'm repeating a narrative here. I'm, I'm, I'm recycling something that somebody said is important. Um, so I, I, I've always had this sort of critical lens about what I've been tasked to teach. And just to cut to the chase, um, after a couple of years of teaching, you know, because I wanted to make my life more difficult, I went to grad school and I got a master's in history, specifically public history, because when you study history at the graduate level, you're, it's sort of like atom smashing. Like you're not memorizing dates. Yeah. You're throwing things at each other and, and like seeing what happens when they break apart and you're really sort of like picking up on the finer details of like the history of the history and why this history and not critical theory right right so things that you know I, I wish we taught and learned earlier which we do in the museum to a certain extent um so I went to grad school and that's how I transitioned to museum work but yeah uh call educating of calling I'm here to explain things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you provide such a great entry point in the museum to, as you said, to people who maybe aren't well-versed in contemporary art or aren't comfortable discussing contemporary art because they think it's somehow far from them. And you provide them the opportunity to learn, but I think more importantly, you provide people the opportunity to learn how to ask questions because that's really how we move forward. And that's what critical thinking is. It's teaching people how to think and teaching people how to ask questions because that's really how progress happens. And, and, you know, me and you have a very 
very strong Western Civ background. And I asked myself on purpose, exactly on purpose. And I asked myself the same questions that you just mentioned is who wrote this history? Why is this the history that I'm being taught? Because there's a whole world out there and we're focusing on a very particular part, right? So all of these questions arise. And this book I think is the perfect catalyst for this conversation because we see that develop. We see Tara kind of become, I think, the student that you would have wanted to have, right? Like she really does start to ask herself these questions and she wasn't afraid to do so. So I guess my first kind of question is, what were your overall thoughts on the book? Did you enjoy reading the book? How, how did we feel? I mean, I'll start by just saying that I did love it. I enjoyed it. I think it's very tough at certain times because there is a lot of abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. And I think that sometimes you can really only read a few pages at a time, but I think the writing was absolutely beautiful, very compelling. She's an interesting character because she's honest with who she is. She's intriguing for that reason. And I just thought it was really wonderful. Yeah. I, I'm going to co-sign all of that. Like I, there were some aspects of the book that were page turnery. I'm just like, Oh my God, yeah. what next? But then there were some that were cringy, but not in the like Gen Z way, more in the like, oh, this is like hard to read. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is that you have to put the book down and be like, I can't take any more sort of secondhand physical and emotional abuse. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, but overall, I was, I, I love the book. And again, I think it speaks to both of your sort of um, minds that you gave me this wonderful book to read because it was thoroughly, um, not just enjoy, enjoying um, or enjoying to read, but also um, thought-provoking. Yeah. No, I enjoyed the book a lot. There were so many parts that I just had to, I sometimes when I read the book after Maritza has read it, I almost like, instead of live-tweeting her, I live-text her, <laughs> and I'm just like, what the fuck? Why did this happen? That's fucking crazy. I'm like, the dog, what? Like, and I had finished it, so I would just laugh every time I got one of these messages. I was like, oh, she's at that part. If that was me and my husband. I'd be like, damn, you can't. I can't believe what just happened. He's like, I'm not reading the book. I don't know. No, you're alone on this. Yeah, so, so I, I kind of do that a lot when I finish the book after her. So I, I'm sure she found that amusing. I was just like, there was a lot of jaw-dropping moments for me mm-hmm. and moments of like, wow, people really think like this. Some people are so backwoods fucked up mm-hmm. that they believe in this shit. And, right. and that just, like, blew my mind. But to a point that, like, later on when she got older and more educated and stuff, like, I started getting annoyed with her. <laughs> because she kept wanting validation from her family and to be part of her family at the end, and that just kind of yeah, that just kind of annoyed me just towards sort of the end. Walking but I back guess. into the burning building. Yes. Yeah. Like, what yeah. The fuck is wrong yeah. with you? You have such a great path ahead of you. Leave the trash behind. Yeah. The, the actual right. trash. Actual like, trash. Actual. <laughs> actual trash. Yeah. And for those of you who have not read this book, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> an overview because I Alexa's already very upset, and I love that. <laughs> Alexa's very upset right now. This is a really, really interesting book because the main character, so this is a memoir, and the main character essentially tells us in the prologue, I am only seven, but I understand that it is this fact more than any other that makes my family different. We don't go to school. So from the very beginning, what she's doing is she's telling you that her family is different because they are not receiving a formal education in the way that we would recognize one and the way that we all grew up going to school. And she talks a lot about her family. They're very religious. They're Mormon. They believe 
believe that going to school is um, essentially a, a ploy by the government, yeah. right, to lead children away from God, and that it's counter to religion, and her father is really the main person that uh, instills these views in the rest of the family. So they live isolated, they live in a home by a mountain where they don't really connect with other people, and she finds herself in a position where she realizes that her family is different. That in and of itself, I think, goes to show you that she ha had some semblance of critical thinking already, you know, to, yeah. to make that distinction. Um, but it's heartbreaking because you realize that she's not receiving, at least for me, when I was reading it, I was like, she's not receiving the same education that I did in the sense that like, I went to school, I made friends, I had yes. lunch, I went to recess, right? All these things that are, yeah. yeah, these like magical moments in your childhood that you cherish and that you wish you could go back to because you had no stress back then. <laughs> you realize no, that this is not what she had. Fire, exactly. Right? <laughs> Craziness ensues. Okay. There will be spoilers because we're obviously very passionate about this book. So we're going to go ahead and just talk about what happens. Very passionate. We're very passionate people. So that's a very, very broad and brief overview of what the book is. But essentially she finds herself later on in the hallways of Harvard and of Cambridge. And so she receives a formal education later on in her life, but it's a huge struggle to say the, the least, yes. um, to get there, right? This is not an, a, a, a straightforward path for her. She has to fight for it. And the reason that she's able to do it is because one of her brothers is able to break away, receive an education. And that opens the door for her to believe that she can do it too. Mm -hmm. That's really kind of how it starts. I think, I think that's a, a, enough for those of you who haven't read the book. That's enough that you need to know to be able to follow along in the conversation, yeah, but there will definitely be some spoilers because there is some crazy shit that happens in this book and we can't not talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the book doesn't really have this sort of like denouement. Like there's no like a moment you're like, aha, like it's, I think it's just sort of this gradual sort of evolution mm -hmm. that even if, okay, you listen to us, you know, bitch and moan and, 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 and rat and rave, I still think that like this is still a book that you'd get so much perhaps enjoyment, but definitely, um, I don't know, like a, just a completely different perspective, um, regardless of what we think about it. Yeah. Um, there's no, like, I, I, I feel like spoilers in this case aren't so... I know. You're right. You're right. They're, yeah, they're they're not going to ruin your experience at all. If anything, the writing I think um, is so meaty, is so weighty that you're going to get a lot from it, even if you know what's going to happen, because the writing itself is really I think memorable and exciting. Um, the first question that I wanted to use as a discussion, because I think it's a really important place to start, given that the author herself starts the book in this way. There's an author's note where she explicitly tells us that this is not a book about Mormonism and it's not a book about religion. However, I don't have the right to tell the author what this book is and what it is not. However, I don't agree, okay? I think that this book very much serves for, for someone like me who is already always ready and willing to criticize religion. <laughs> I will use this book to prove my point for as long as I am on this earth because it really does show and illustrate in such a personal way the ways in which religion can see education as a threat because it's a liberation of the things that you've already been taught. It's the canon that you get to reject, uh, in a sense, for another canon, right? That's really kind of the issue sometimes when we when we think about it. And, and I know that Darwin would 
probably agree, given that history is also written by the victor, right? So <laughs> it's one canon in exchange for another canon. But I... I think that this book very much is more than a memoir, and I see it as a critique on religion, whether or not she wants to admit it. I, I mean, yes, once again, right off the bat, like, I think that that disclaimer is perfunctory, it's just there, but I also think that maybe she's giving us this because she's, she was a history major, so she wrote a dissertation about like Mormonism and what its relationship is to like identity and and settler colonialism. So maybe that's the like religion book. I don't know. Like I, I one of the questions that I had was like, like watching her growth and then her academic growth. I'm like, well, she she wrote something. She mm -hmm. had about something. Oh yeah. And and this is the only book she's written so far. So maybe that's the one that's gonna have all that stuff, but but it's a yes and. Like, yes, she's she's probably gonna publish some big, long history book about the Mormon, about the Church of Latter-day Saints and, and its relationship to identity and race and all that stuff, but this is also about all those things in a, from a very personal perspective as opposed to a, like a dispassionate academic research project. Yeah, the, the whole book is completely tied to religion. Yeah. Like the whole, her whole being was raised in that religion with her father and, and doomsday and we have to prep oh this. So I, I almost feel like, you know, she has a lot of turmoil with her family in the end because she's kind of like the black sheep of the family, the one who is brainwashed by the government and all this stuff. So it, to me, it almost also feels like a way for her to kind of, you know, skip by her family and be like, look, it's not about religion. It's just, you know, a memoir. And so that they can still somewhat accept her in some way because at the end of the day, it's her family. I, I'm also curious if there's if there's been any sort of like legal issues because yes. there are some, in the book, there are some liner notes or some um, footnotes yes. that are like, this is, this has been, I don't know, like this remembered or something to the fact. Yes. There's, there's very sort of legalese language some places that's like, this is a transcription or the best recollection I have of this, which is parsed from these people. Um, but some people remember it differently, yes, right? Things like that. Yeah. This way, and Sean remembered it that way. So what? So I'm, I'm interested what the first run of this book looked like compared to once it was like a mega seller and if that changed any of that or like yeah. that yielded that because because her mom published a book also oh. i i went down the rabbit hole oh, you did her mom published a book called educating educating about raising three kids who all got phds and like the life that no. she gave them because i was like I so she focused on those three kids and not the ones that were working in the scrapyard i i you know, that's history. We get to choose yes. one of my life. There you like, go. Proof. So um, I, I'm, I'm very curious as to like how this book changed, if there were any legal challenges. I mean, we, we live in a really, you know, um, uh, in a society where families will sue people and families will sue each other, like, you know, so. Like nothing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. In terms of a legal issue, I had been thinking more about the fact that these kids didn't go to school. 
Mm-hmm. Like, where were the truancy officers? Yes. Like, what, you know what I mean? Like, like who was looking for them? Like, right. everyone knew they weren't in school. And is that a thing that I guess isn't enforced as strictly as maybe it, it, I had imagined it in my mind? I mean, that's also strange to me, right? But then again, these kids, actually, I take it back, these kids were born at home. And there was they no, there was, that's right, they didn't have birth certificates. That's right, that's right. These kids didn't exist, essentially. Um, some of them, some of them did, yeah. Yeah, they were born off the grid, some of them. It was so terrifying. Yeah, so you guys know I had to take it there where I'm about to go, but this book to me also talks about the the sexism Mm. that is reinforced by religion, but also the stereotypes when it comes to what women choose to study and education, right? Mm -hmm. Because she had this love of music, and she also had this deep love of history and politics, and that was seen as not appropriate appropriate for a woman and then we also have the beliefs that the father held about women women shouldn't be able to work but then again he really wanted his wife to become a midwife and make money off of that because it would help sustain them right so it's like where do you bend the rules for your own for your own benefit right because they all do they all do do. it's the same thing as like the modern day republican party right it's like no no no, we don't believe in abortion unless my mistress needs one right Uh, it's the same thing it's like the bending of the rules whenever we see fit but i just thought it was interesting how gender played a role in this because she's very open and honest about that she talks about how her you know she wishes that she was her brother at one point because she knew that he would live an easier life um than she and and this was this was a part that really broke my heart on page 119 she said i looked at my brother he seemed old at that moment wise he knew about the world he knew about worldly women so i asked him to keep me from from becoming one. Oh my God. And that to me was a heartbreaking moment. And I kind of closed the book and I kind of just sat thinking about that. The amount of women whose light has been lost with that mentality, right? The amount of women will never come up with a number, right? For the amount of women who choose not to study what they want or live the life that they want simply because they are afraid. And I can't blame them for being afraid. Society punishes you so, so, so deeply and in such a violent manner when you don't live the life that society chooses for you. And that for me was a really, really hard quote. And it made me realize that this book is just as much about gender as it is about class, as it is about education, as it is about really all of the other things Mm -hmm. that we're discussing. And that was... That was hard for me. I think that the wording there, and again, I, she's a fantastic writer, right? I think that she's a, she's an absolute wordsmith, but the fact that she uses the word worldly, I think mm-hmm. is so telling because I grew up in a very conservative, like evangelical Christian household. And the word that we, we used in Spanish was mundano or mundane, which means worldly, which means like of this earth. And it was such a scathing Critique. If you were called that, or if you did things that were considered worldly, like that was bad, right? Right. That was so. You know, it's it's finding that sort of these 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 words that are embedded in the way that she's writing that are these these very very um, strong judgments um, and pronouncements that she's getting told all over the place. Um, so that's why that one sent a shiver, like a, a real chill down my spine. Yeah, no, and between, you know, her all her brothers and the father and how they spoke about these Gentile women 
on the streets and the, the people that didn't go to church every Sunday or went to church on Sundays, but they wore whore lipstick or it's just a lot of that and, and her perceptions on those women because of her family's perceptions. It just baffled my mind. Like when, when she started going to the theater and yes. she had a beautiful voice and her dad at first didn't want her to sing, but then he heard it. She's like, she could sing at choir. She could be at church. She could lead the group. It's like almost like you can enter the world yeah. as long as it's within this prescribed sort of, um, in this lane that women can exist in. Yes. yes. We think you can exist yes. in. Yes. Right? That's how, so she could do a little, she could dance, she could sing. But only if it's for the Lord. Yes, exactly. That's so strange, yeah. And Alexa, I'm glad that you brought up the word whore. Yeah, <laughs> because her brother, who emotionally and physically abused her for many years, and that's that one was that whole thing is really hard yeah, for me to I even think that. about and, and talk about because my relationship with my brother is so the opposite of that that I can't imagine living in the same house as a young man with that much strength who could hurt you. Um, that 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 is that's its own other thing. But he would call her a whore Constantly. often. Yeah. And what I thought was really interesting is that at one point she says, you know, being a whore, according to my brother, has nothing to do with me doing a particular thing. It's not an action. It's about me existing in a certain way. Yeah. And I was like, God, do I feel that? God, do women feel that all the time? If we exist in a way that is outside of those parameters mm-hmm. that you just mentioned, Darwin, we are an affront. We are a threat. We are an attack. And when you create that perimeter in such a tight way or you punish women the moment that they come out of it, that's when you, that's when women lose their light. Yeah. That's exactly when we're in this position that we had just and discussed. That punishment you talk about that she got from her father and from her and, and from that particular brother over yes. and over and over again that I survivor doesn't even like put it lightly as to what she endured, right? Like I think any anyone I was like, I I, I couldn't have dealt with this, right? Like this no. is and like just like on that on that note, I don't know, like and like, feel free to be like, no, Darwin, that's not what this is. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting, again, just thinking of like the layered aspects of everyone's identity, but especially hers. You know, like, I think a thing that we hear a lot about the concept of privilege and the way that it's like wielded or the way that it's talked about is that when people talk about privilege, it's usually like wielded against people that are white and that like white people can't. And it's like, no, that's not what this is about, right? Privilege is about acknowledging that everyone has a different set of circumstances that gives them, you know, you know, advantages in certain situations and not necessarily all the time. So like, here is a white person yeah. who endured horrible things, right? Like, no one is here to say that, like, just because you are white, like, bad things can't or won't happen to you. Like, exactly. no. So I think that there's, there's that teachable moment here in this book where it's just like, well, privilege and wokeness and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, well, read Educated. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and you will see how in some ways she is and in other ways she is absolutely not yeah. and like quite the opposite so I don't know that's just something that like yeah are you hearing that Tucker Carlson I hope that you're a listener <laughs> 
I hope you're, I, that, that was literally for Tucker Carlson, who genuinely believes that, like, if you say the word woke, woke you're Satan. But you're absolutely right. That's so, so, so true, is that privilege is about these specific advantages or disadvantages and how we acknowledge them, how we work through them, and how we use them to shift our perspective. All of us have a certain level of privilege depending on the situation that we're in. Yeah. Right. And so this is absolutely a teaching moment. I agree. It's, it's, this is a young woman who, despite, you know, the color of her skin had very little advantage and who had almost everything working against her and somehow managed. And if you read the book, you'll figure out what that somehow is, but managed to find herself in an incredible university with an incredible education and was able to move forward in a way that I don't think anyone could have possibly predicted. We were all privileged compared to her by not having her father yeah. be our father. Right. Like that in and of itself, we're we're like light years ahead. I, I still don't really know how she made it as far as she did given given all of that. All of that baggage, all of that toxicity, all of that just struggle after struggle. And and I'm not saying that she wasn't deserving or smart or sometimes it felt like she wasn't trying all that hard and so someone gave her a kick in the ass and then she tried like I felt like she was kind of lacking at some points and I'm like how is is she still getting these opportunities mm -hmm. but then the right people in the right moments are guiding her instead of her father yeah. and her beliefs yeah. and all that backstory well I mean it's just it's just proof of what a great educator a caring yes. educator yes. can do for somebody you know I I was also very fortunate to have had incredible teachers all throughout my undergrad and my master's, but none of those teachers would have become a reality for me had I not had an incredible teacher in high school who taught my art history class. It was the first art history class I ever took, Miss Jurado. She was amazing. She is amazing. And she is the reason why I decided to study art history. And if it hadn't been for the fact that she told me, she was like, you have a real knack for this. You talk about this in a way that is so interesting and so important. And you're so eloquent when you talk about art. I don't know. I don't know that I would have chosen to major in art history. I don't know. I think you can say the same about Tara. There were so many moments when she had every reason to quit, when she was just in her room for months at a time and had no will to live, let alone write her PhD. Well, was I physically injured. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it just. Oh my lord. I mean, the poor girl didn't even know that you had to read textbooks and like study guides and write notes and like the info's in the book. Yeah. Just read the book. Right. And the thing that kind of haunts me when I think about the book is the gaslighting and the emotional abuse. I mean, we'll get to the happier parts of the book, I promise, but because <laughs> there are some, there are, I mean, you, you can Google her now and she's, she's happy. She's educated, but there's a quote that really, I think is quite telling. And I think it's something that only people who have been emotionally or physically abused can read. And it, and it will really, really sink in. And it's on page 196 where she says, there's no fury in it, only pleasure, unperturbed. Then a part of me understands, even as I begin to argue against it, that my humiliation was the cause of that pleasure. It was not an accident or side effect. It was the objective. 
And I think that that was a real moment for her, a moment of realization. Because when you realize that your humiliation, your inability to fight back is what brings that person pleasure, Mm -hmm. that's the only time that you can actually decide to leave, I think. Mm -hmm. And that hit me. That was, that was hard for me to read. I, I know exactly which, which incidents of that abusive brother, like, when that happened. I think it's, it's one that she was, like, recalling. She's like, I actively, like, forgot that yes. this happened. Like, that this... And it's spoken about in a way that's very circumspect. And I think, for me, there was enough room for interpretation that I... That you could think worse of that encounter. And... I'll, like, leave it there. Yeah, I was thinking worse, too. Yeah. I, I feel like some things must have been withheld. Yeah. Just given... Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking legal now. Yeah. That yeah. Sucks, right. But, no. um, but yeah, when, when, like, I, I love that you're highlighting this quote because when the humility... And it goes back to that power, right? It's these men in her life want complete... This sort of, like, dominion over her that's so hermetic. And then it takes... Like the brother being a little different, and then this yeah. one educator, this one teacher at BYU, and the one at Cambridge, right? That that continue to sort of like pull at a string, and and do you, do you guys know about the allegory of the cave? Yes. Right. Like Socrates. Yes. Like it's a Socratic like thought exercise, but that's like so much of what I thought about reading this book, right? And it's and for and again, like when in doubt, just go for pop culture. It's the Matrix. <laughs> Yes. Right? Like the Matrix is based on the on this on this thought exercise, right? If we're all in these little bubbles and we don't know any better, then life can't be miserable if it's all you've ever known. But the moment that you step outside and you're like, oh shit is fucked, like <laughs> oh, this whole thing is a lie. Yeah. And and yet there are some people that want to climb back in the like alien group yeah, pod. Because it's what they know. Or go yeah. back into yeah. the cave, right? Yeah. And she had she had instances of that. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's education as liberation, but liberation is terrifying. And I and I want actually I'm I'm glad this was the perfect segue because that's one of the main points of this book and one of the main takeaways that we need to be focusing on now in 2022, given everything that's going on, mm-hmm. is that liberation understanding can be absolutely fucking terrifying. When something goes against the beliefs that you have held your whole life, you almost question the the very pillar on which you stand. And you ask yourself if everything else that you know is wrong. And what, what I want is for people to understand that that can happen to you at any point in your life. And the more open you are to that shaky ground, the more whole you will be and the more whole you will feel. At least that's how, that's how I feel. As, as a student of history, as someone who constantly continues to read history books and likes to rethink history, it only adds to the narrative. It only adds to the importance of whatever it is that I'm learning about. I'll take American history, for example. We all learn American history in school, except Tara. But we, <laughs> but we those of us who went to school, uh, learn American history, but we didn't really learn it um, in a complete way. That's the, the kind way that I'll phrase it, right? But Darwin, mm-hmm. me and you, we've read yeah. the 1619 Project. Mm-hmm. We have understood that there is this whole alternate history that is deeply embedded into the original history. I only call it alternate because it goes against the canon that we've been taught. But it's just as important. Yeah. Yeah. In in um 
this is a term that really comes out of like political science, but um, and it's really only used in like a concept in 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 South Asian studies. Because I, you know, when I got to college, I'm like, I want to not study Europe, so I said like, South Asia and this and that. But this idea of being a subaltern, you're you're subordinate, so you're less than, and you're alternated, right? So it's like I'm beneath the big guy or whoever, and I'm also like the understudy, right? I'm not, I'm not even like, sec I'm, so to me, like the idea of being a subaltern or being subalternated, I think really sort of encapsulates this type of history that you're talking about, Maritza, because it's there and it exists, but it's, it's not, it's not on, it's not on varsity squad, right? It's no. not first rank. And it's also like behind several doors. Um, and I, I'm gonna draw on when I was an educator, when I was a teacher, you know, and again, like you're bright-eyed, you're bushy-tailed, and you're really idealistic. But after a while, I was like, "Am I not, like? Am I just a big cog in the machine, right? I'm, I'm like, am I teaching these students? I'm like, this is how a bill is made, and this is how the political system works. I'm just like, but I sort of, I know that that's not true. It's simplified. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I remember I, my third year once I had, you know, sort of gotten, I was like, okay, so we got to talk about lobbyists and gerrymandering. Yeah. Like, this is, <laughs> like, the textbook says this, but IRL, this is what's happening. Right. Um, and then when it came to European history, I was like, why are we in an AP Euro class? Why is there no AP Latin American class? Why is there no AP? So it's like the fact that this is, that we decided to draw a circle around this tells us something. So, you know, I, I saw myself, I'm just like, I am, I'm, not, I'm not a mouthpiece of this narrative. And I felt really uncomfortable with that. So, you know, you know, I, I was sworn to teach what the state of Florida said I had to teach, which I did. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> but I also was like, but there's this other stuff that we can look at and we can think about. So, you know, thinking about this idea of, of education as, as freedom, I, I see my own story and I see my, my student's story in it. But it's, it's also, you know, we've been fighting this fight for millennia now, this idea of free thought, because it is, it's still such a radical idea. This, this idea that like, people can think for themselves. And like you said, so it, imagine a person grappling with, oh wow, this whole identity and idea that I've like, built for myself is on shaky ground. Imagine an entire society or country yeah. mm -hmm. grappling with that and needing to grapple with it right that that struggle and that that reckoning is is a necessary part of growth that discomfort is how you you two work out right how do you get muscles to grow you sort of right. have to get them to hurt, hurt. it yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> so this this reflexive insulation that we keep doing and 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 no and no and no it's it's not doing us any good and and i think tara's journey is proof of that right that she really went through the ringer, but I don't think she'd have it any other way at this point. At least coming out the other side, I'm sure she'd be like, yeah, I'd love to not be abused and <laughs> come out the other side. Oh my God. That poor thing didn't even know what the Holocaust oh was. Yeah. I just need to call it out. Yeah. That, was, that was such a horrible moment. Yeah. I mean, one, one example, apart from the Holocaust one, that really... I mean, this one really hit me hard was, well, first of all, she talks to us about what she had been taught at home. So I'll give a little bit of a comparative here. She talks about how when she was at home, her father taught her that the slaves in colonial times were happier and that they were more free than their masters because their masters were burned 
burdened with the cost of their care, right? And that made sense to her. And we're all kind of giggling. You can't see us because it's a podcast, but we're all kind of giggling, right? And then she explains that when she gets to school and she's, you know, wide-eyed listening to these lectures on American history, she realizes that her mother had been four years old in 1955, and with that realization, the distance between me and Emmett Till collapsed. The calculation was not made with reference to historical or geological shifts, the fall of civilizations, the erosion of mountains. It was measured in the wrinkling of human flesh, in the lines of my mother's face. Again, like the way that she writes, you know, she's able to, to wield a pen in a way that like, like takes these these gigantic things and and visually right yeah. you're, you're seeing the skin wrinkle over time um, but yeah that that's the thing is that history we, we view this as, as as this abstract I would tell it to my students all the time so I'm like nothing is is casual like things aren't just the way they are everything is causal mm-hmm. I'm like I am speaking to you in an Anglo-Saxon language with the name that I have like, yeah because all of these other things created this. This didn't just happen. Um, and and it's it's getting people to to get that. That's that's the hardest yeah. part. Yeah. No, I think the most recent evidence of this is with, you know, Colin Kaepernick taking the knee, George Floyd murders. Everyone at that moment, like a bunch of white people I know on Instagram and Facebook were like why is this happening? Why is this so bad? Why do black lives matter? And they don't realize that it's not just a switch wasn't flipped. Mm -hmm. This has been a buildup for centuries. Yes. This is history. Mm -hmm. This is just the one moment in time where some people gave more of a fuck and the normal. normal. Well, we have phones. That's what it is. The police did not suddenly start murdering black people. We just have phones now. You can can easily document anything. The modern day police force is a direct descendant of the police force that used to find runaway slaves. They are trained in the same way. This is, history is alive and well. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It's, it's the same thing happened with, with Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Me and you yeah. were so mad. We were like, oh my God, I didn't see this coming. I'm like, bitch, where have you been? <laughs> is there coming. a rock? Were you on Tara's mountain? <laughs> yeah. Where the fuck were you? Where the fuck were you? Because I knew this was going to happen. The moment that Donald Trump got elected and I knew that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was on her last fucking breath, I knew this shit was going to happen. So where the fuck were you, right? That's the concern. That's the real, real concern that I have is why do people feel like they can just ignore everything that's going on? I mean, maybe privilege is the is the short answer to that, as we've kind of touched on. But it concerns me that people are, A, unwilling to engage in the conversation, and B, when they do, that they just put their, their hands over their ears and they go, la, 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 la. Well, you know that the word idiot comes from... In like ancient Greece, because you know we we all got fed the Western Civ thing, whether we like it or not. <laughs> and idiotes was someone who was like apolitical, like only oh. only, only men that owned property could like could freely participate in Athenian democracy. So if you weren't one of those people, you were just you were an idiot. So I think it's still sort of like Paris today, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, totally. <laughs> oh, it doesn't affect me. I'm like, well, 
Yeah, people people tend to be apolitical until, you know, their home is on fire, until their mother tongue is banned, until they are arrested for making decisions about their own body, right? Everyone's apolitical. Which is why when I was a, a, a social studies teacher, I would tell my kids, even as a, when I was adjuncting at FIU, and they were still kids to me, I was like, my job is to teach you compassion. Yes. 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 All my time. I don't care about the dates. I don't care about the whatever. I want you to be able, like I had this one aha moment with a kid once where he's like, but wait, 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 what you want me to do is to like, think about being someone else. I was like, yes, Brian, (laughs) exactly. Shout out to Brian. (laughs) I was like, yes, that's it. That's, that's what I want you to do. Put yourself in the position of a person who now has to do X or Y and and he'd never been tasked with that because we all, again, we all enter the world through this like allegory of the cave. We repeat the things that are told us. We, the world as we see it is our world. And some of us are lucky enough that that world sometimes gets a bit bigger than others or we're able to, to flourish or we're able to thrive. But he had never been challenged enough to think in that way. And I, I saw the light bulb click. So again, like being a, a history or a social studies teacher is again, it's like the hardest part is just to push the human consciousness to inhabit somebody else's for just a brief moment. And like, oh my God, things like change. Yes. When they not even affect you directly, but like, when you cosplay, <laughs> 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 that might you. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on a quote that she, I think it's on page 181, where she's describing what it was like for her to suddenly have this new perspective, this new education, right? This new way of thinking. And she says, never again would I allow myself to be made a foot soldier in a conflict I did not understand. Ooh, I think I remember what that quote was about. That was about white supremacy. Yeah. That's when she, real- mm-hmm. that's when she realized that, like, the, the big government sting that her dad freaked out about was because the government was, like, investigating, like, white supremacist, like, arms deals and, like, terrorism. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, the, but what she heard was the government is here to take her kids and do all this yeah. stuff. So, again, like, feeds into this sort of, like, your echo chamber is your reality. So... Um, I, I think that her story for me resonates a lot, and that that quote in particular resonates a lot with me. And I'm gonna get like a little personal here. Um, but you know, lately in the news, like that thing that happened in LA about like the Latino like um, city council people who caught, got caught with a hot mic saying all these terrible things, and so and so it's like with the blacks. Nuri Nuri Martinez. Yeah. yeah, let's call her. Let's call her ass out. Thank you. So I, I feel like I also had that aha moment. Right, and I've had it several times, and I think maybe maybe a lot of us have, right? Whether it's George Floyd or it's some sort of realization that like the world as we know it or the world as the way that it was fed to us isn't real. And my version of that is so I'm 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 of Dominican descent. I was born in the United States, but my parents are Dominican. I'm probably Dominican. That's like my identity. But it, it's not without problem, right? The same with that being an American is not without problem, right? So. Being a patriot and and critiquing where you're from and the country and the identities that you inhabit isn't 
isn't done out of hate, it's done out of love, right? To me, a true patriot is someone, a true friend is the one that tells you you've got the booger dangling from your face, right? <laughs> Not the one that's like, no, you're fine, right? So and that's how I know that you've read James Baldwin, because <laughs> that's exactly what he so says. Much. It is because I love America that I promise to perpetually criticize her. That you demand more of it. So, like, I, I inhabit two identities that both of these... Both of these constructs are built on like black violence, right? So like in, on the one hand, as a child, you're always taught to celebrate and rejoice in your identity, which everyone absolutely has the right to. But like Dominicans specifically perpetuate so much anti-blackness in themselves and outwardly that it, it was a real reckoning for me to be like, I cannot be a be party to this in any way, shape, or form. And, 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 you know, I grew up partly in New York, partly in Miami, but the way that I think race functions in Miami is, is very unique and different compared to the rest of the United States of America. So I've been in this weird situation where I've been hailed as black by other Latinos or non-Latinos or rejected as black by other, because I, I inhabit this like strange, like yeah. racial, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Kind of. like for me, Latino was always like how I identified myself, but I understand that that's an ethnicity and, and we can slice this identity a million and one ways. And race is a social construct, yeah, right? I, I, so I, I, mm -hmm. all of these things are sort of built on pillars of sand, but also are real because we've made them real. So, mm -hmm. you know, I found myself on so many different sides of this sort of like racial paradigm but realizing like what Dominican history and identity was as an adult and, and coming to terms with it, I was like, oh, this is me coming out of the cave and you want to go back in. It hurts. But you but I was like, no, I can't. Um, and it was it was sadly like going back to school, studying history at at the postgraduate level that I think I was able to better sort of understand these things within myself which is why I think I loved history, but I was never turning that lens on me, mm -hmm. right? I could, I could study European history, study Middle Eastern history, study like anyone else's history was fair game, but mine was like too painful. And it, it took to like my early thirties to be able to like do that. So hearing her narrative and hearing her talk about that, um, I was like, yeah, same. You, you, there comes a point where you make a choice and, and the choice is I'm not gonna be part, party to this anymore. Um, so yeah, it's my little story. I mean, it's, it's so important and I, and I'm really glad that you shared that because I think that, you know, it, it applies to so many things, right? Like you mentioned some Latinos, you know, the anti-blackness within the Latino community or women who frankly hate other women yeah. or women who yeah, don't yeah. fight for the rights, the reproductive rights of women, right? It's like, because they align themselves with a certain thing. They align themselves with whatever has more power. With a certain power yeah. dynamic. Usually, usually yeah. at least in America, when it comes to, for example, reproductive rights, because that's like, I'm a self-proclaimed expert on this now, but we are though, we are, though. Yeah. We are. Um, normally it's, it's women who align themselves with whiteness, right? Because aligning yourself with whiteness is more powerful and more beneficial to you than aligning yourself with being a woman. And I totally get why, because being a woman is impossible on some days, right? So I'm glad that you pointed that out because if you are not the agent of change within your own community and you don't open up your mind to these different perspectives, then there is very little hope, I think. And I, I kind of want to dive into what that fear is. You know, what is that fear of losing power? What is that fear and where does it, where does it take you? We know where it takes you, but where can it take you if you were to choose 
to not let it dictate your path. Mm-hmm. That would be, I think, the moment that the world gets a little bit better. At least I, I would hope, right? I would hope, right? Yeah, we gotta stop at that. That's, 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 that's my wish, right? And I think, you know, everything is so interconnected, right? We, we know that. Everything that's happening, for example, in Iran. I, I feel very strongly about what's happening right now in Iran, because this is the first movement that we can think of in history that is being started by young women. Young women are leading a revolution, okay? And it's no different than what's happening here when you think about what they're fighting for. It's two sides of the same coin. It's bodily autonomy. And so that quote that I read out about not being a foot soldier for a cause that you don't understand is so relevant today because I think people are so afraid to come out of that cave that you've described that they're willing to be that foot soldier. And also, like, humans, we're so vain. We're so, we're like... So self-centered. Yeah, like, yeah. The, like, the idea of, like, oh, I was wrong. Oh, I, like, the... Like, Crazy. Apologizing. <laughs> yeah. It's such a... That, that's scarier than the actual fear of, of changing your mind. Like, being wrong... It's like we're not okay with just accepting that we're wrong and moving forward. And you're like, I have changed my thought on this now because I am better educated. Guess what? We're about to change our minds. Yes. That's okay. Yeah. That's the strength. That's the strength is that your beliefs should be based on the facts and therefore they should be able to shape shift. The facts should not bend to your beliefs. And if you're someone who is open, and I'm not saying that you need to have a PhD for this, for the hell, I mean, I don't have a PhD, right? You just have to have an open mind and a willingness to learn. That's all it takes for you to, I think, become a much more active participant in the bettering of society, right? That's all we really ask of people. But I understand that that fear is real. And when we think of America, and this is something that I definitely, I've been waiting to ask you about this. (laughs) But when we think about the United States, right, the reason why people are so afraid to admit that they're wrong or to even excavate a little bit of the history that they are, you know, openly and actively ignoring. That power dynamic is kind of huge because this is a country that, as I've said many times before, was built on a means of production that was, uh, you know, the, the backs of living, breathing, enslaved people, yeah. right? Yeah. Exploitative. So that culture is still real. And even if you yourself are so far removed from slavery, because it's been a few generations now, the culture that taught you to feel the way you feel is still alive. It still shakes and it's still prevalent, right? I saw a quote the other day, I think I posted on my Instagram, that you can't think about America's gun obsession without also thinking about indigenous riots, Mm -hmm. um, fighting back, you know, settlers freaking out about indigenous people fighting back, plus, you know, maintaining the original means of production, keeping enslaved people. People and check. Her book is gonna touch on all of that. That's what this yeah. is. Yeah. That's what this is. But that's what I that's what I wanted to ask you is what do you tell your students who have that concern, who have grown up in a country that has given them everything and that they themselves believe that it came from the right place and they don't want to acknowledge the horror and the exploitative nature of it. How do you have that conversation? That is the million dollar question. I think we do a disservice to to children. I think we, 
we infantilize them much too long. And I understand that I think everyone ought to have a childhood and everyone I think deserves one, but I, I do draw the line at where that childhood like is at, is at the expense of critical thinking and just mm-hmm. breeds naivete. So yes, everyone is special and, and everyone is unique, but this idea of American exceptionalism I think is what is at the core of that. The fact that we, we call ourselves American, even though the entire this entire side of the world is yeah. America, right? Yeah. So when I when I when I started my master's, right, that's when I really sort of again it's just sort of like smashing histories against each other and seeing what is left. But what happened here is so unique. If you really like take a thirty five thousand foot view of what happened in these two continents, it's like the the displacement and genocide of of indigenous people, the transshipment of humans as cattle and property. Right, the importation of alien and foreign cultures and and flora and fauna, like it really was like a, a collision of worlds. Like if you really just sit down and think about everything that shaped what went on here, the United States is really no different from anywhere else. Right, what we are is a collection of like lands that were on the Atlantic that participated in this the, this first global economy that had winners and had abject losers right so for me it's like decentralizing one that the united states it's like we are we are just like we ain't it yeah we're like everybody else we're not the best like everyone else and and we're like everyone else and and that's okay and that's fine um so there's that but it's also one of the things that i would tell my students i'm like if if not us who if we're not willing to hold the mirror up to ourselves what about the ones that would seek to do us ill, right? If you're not willing to look at your own flaws, then trust me, there are others who are going to use them against you. If you're not actively working on those flaws, then you're leaving yourself up. Like what you're, what you're presenting is a huge liability, right? So that was, I think, as far as I was willing to engage in this with some of my, some of my students without getting too, I don't know, philosophical yeah to win it because because there is a certain sort of like level that i could only get so far right but like with with you two i mean I, i'm i'm like a jehovah's witness when it comes to therapy and like introspection <laughs> i'm like have you accepted talking about your feelings as, <laughs> as, as your lord and savior because <laughs> that's what i think we collectively have to do yeah. right we have to like and it was that sort of reckoning moment i'm just like Every single cinder block that has built this country is built with the blood of these people and the labor and the toil and the displacement of these people. Like there's that it's just a, it's just the truth. Yeah. And the the sooner that we get to acknowledge it, the sooner that we can get to some form of like getting past it, right? And I don't have all the answers, but not talking about it isn't making it go away. Yeah. So it's it's for me to to put a like to put a bow on it. It's to decenter the narrative of American exceptionalism. I think that's where you're going to start with this, because everyone's history is valid. Yes. No one's yes. history is better or unique or like if you if you are a true student of history, what you'll notice is that like humans do the same thing over and over and over everywhere and over again everywhere. If you look at primordial cultures, like the, some of the most quote unquote primitive cultures, what do they do? Worship the things that they don't understand, right? Yes. Pray to their ancestors. 
right? And like and then conquest. <laughs> and fight with other people and come into conflict, right? Yeah. Like, but that is at its core the human condition. So yeah, you know, um, if we keep telling ourselves that we're the Captain America in every story, like what are you telling yourself? Are you perfect? Are you beyond critique? Do you never make mistakes? And then you, you, you keep progress from happening yeah. because you don't acknowledge where there is room to grow, where progress can take place, right? And that kind of leads us back, I think, to the original point, which is education as a liberation. And before we started recording, we very casually started talking about the, just the idea that religion stems from trying to explain the things that cannot be explained, right? Because back in the day, the sun was a god because the yeah. sun could not be explained. And then when the sun could be explained, well, we no longer worshipped the sun, right? So religion is, it exists for the sake of explaining the things that we cannot explain. And there, and for that reason, religion will always exist mm -hmm. because we'll never explain or understand truly deeply grief, and loss and all the things that are a part of our everyday lives. And so for that reason, sadly, religion will continue <laughs> to plague our world, okay? We, everyone knows how I feel about religion. No one should be shocked. So this is episode, what, 18? I mean, by now, y'all know, right? The only person that's shocked is the person that gave us a one-star review. <laughs> yeah. Conservative asshole. That person was like, this is accidents. not what I signed up for. These two, a book club. No, <laughs> these bitches are woke. <laughs> to use woke. Tucker Carlson's. We worship Satan. Yeah, we're satanic. <laughs> but really? it's because we have been reading and learning and trying to expand our mind to the best of our ability. And that is why, I mean, this is a controversial thing to say, and I know that some people will not like it, but it's the reason why people who tend to have more of either a formal education or even an informal education, you taught yourself, you're a well-read person, it's when you tend to steer clear of religion. Those two things don't always, um, they're oil and water is, 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 is how I'll phrase it. And I'll phrase it that way because I think it's somewhat neutral and somewhat kind. But I think that the more you read, the more that you learn, the less inclined you are to, to focus on things like religion or to put your faith in it. Funnily enough, like the biggest advocate for my education growing up was my grandmother, who was an incredibly devout woman. Mm. Right? That, you know, she was the one that would throw the word mundane at us. She was the one that, you know, would, you know, threaten us with fire and brimstone if we didn't go to church regularly, right? But but at the same time, she also was a Democrat. I'm like, I don't get you. But, wow, that's confusing. Um, but, yeah, no, it makes no sense. But, but it was also just like, no one will take away your education. And, my, and, and at one point, I think she was just like, you should have never gone to that school because now you're turned away from God. But... But 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 she wasn't. But like but like Tara's dad, she was at graduation mm -hmm. by the storm and happy that I got that diploma, right? Mm -hmm. So because education is liberation. That's when the rules bend, honey bun. They bend to when it is convenient. And that's the truth. Yeah. That's always <laughs> how it goes. And I wanted to end 
the discussion on the book with, um, with this quote that I thought was really, really great. There were wonderful superstitions embedded in this method of reading that books are not tricks and that I was not feeble. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really good message for people that there's no, you shouldn't have a fear of reading and expanding your mind and of trying to seek truth because it's the only way that we can contribute to a better world or the creation of a better world. You know, it would have been a lot easier for me to have uh, just, you know, believed what they taught me when I went to Catholic high school and just kind of run with it, I guess. But instead I moved to Paris. You know, I was living in Europe where that everything I was taught in, in, in high school, people were like, no, that shit's crazy. Here's a cigarette, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like it was just, I went from like a really conservative place and then at 18 years old, I went to an incredibly liberal and progressive city that, it, you know, it's, it's also where James Baldwin cho- chose to live because America was too conservative and Paris provided this opportunity to, to, to learn and to be out there and I just wanted to reflect on our educations for a second because we all went in such different paths and I left the country and I left the country for a long time. I was in Paris and then I was in the UK and then I was in Italy. I was in Venice for a while and then I just didn't want to come back to the United States. Don't blame you. I mean, who can, right? Who can? But it's like, I, I, I should, I should. They have free healthcare. But it's like, I, I learned that there's this whole other way of living. And over there, you know, you, you, you work to live. You don't live to work. And you can have a glass of wine and drink your book and no one's gonna try to turn your table. You're just there to spend your time and to live your life slowly. And, and I just, I hurt for the people who don't do that for themselves. And it doesn't have to be moving to France like I did. It can be just whatever liberates you from whatever you've been taught, whatever gives you the other perspective. That's what I wish for you because it will turn you into a different person. It's also turned me into like, this is a silly example, but it's turned me into a different manager, right? I have one person who reports to me in the department and I always remind her, don't check your emails on your vacation, slow down, uh, you know. You remind me of that too. <laughs> I, gladly, I am your girl to remind you that we are but a number and that we don't need to allow this system that exploits us and dehumanizes us to keep us from taking a nap, to keep us from resting, to keep us from loving our life, from slowing down. And so I use that as an example simply because my education led me away away from this country, it gave me a new perspective on this country, and therefore gave me a different way of living. That's what an education can do for you. And the way I live my life is not how everyone should. You have to live the life that you want. Be very wary of people who give you a roadmap, but make that roadmap for yourself. That's what I want. That's the only thing I want. And I know it's a huge ask. <laughs> but I love this idea of like make that like be wary of roadmaps because I felt like I feel like I got a roadmap but I definitely I didn't follow it right so I'll, I'll go right like I'll I, check it out. <laughs> I, I, was, um, I started school like I went to public school in New York City and I, I it was like the situation where it's like 
oh, Darwin is too gifted for this, so we're going to put him in the gifted class. And it's like, oh, he's maxed out the gifted class, so we'll go to a gifted school. It's because we have a gifted program in the gifted school. So I only spent one grade in every school until like fourth grade. I never could never develop like a long like I'm like I'm my friend from kindergarten I'm like I don't know who that person is like, I, you know, like, everyone was different um, and then I you know and my parents were young they didn't know it was they were like who's this nerdy kid that we have right my grandmother was like make him go to all the gifted thing do all the gifted because she was the real advocate of this and, and in a way like it pushed me away from her teachings, and I've already covered that, but long story short, well, this is gonna be a long story, who am I kidding? Um, <laughs> I, I got selected out of public school. I was chosen what's called a talent search, and at fourth grade, I was tracked. So because of my scores on standardized tests, they were like, Darwin is too good for public school. He's also brown. So he's gonna be perfect for expensive private schools because he can fit in. Check out the box. Check that stat, box, like, boy. So like I was, so from, You're token. I spent mm -hmm. middle school and high school being the cultural diversity at this really like shishi prep school. So like, I was like along <laughs> for the ride. I was like, okay, why cool, why not? Sure, like, I'm like, can I stay in my school? Cause like, I actually like it. They're like, no. And, and the way that this program sold it to my parents, like immigrants, working class, are like, your kids are gonna be the next president. They're gonna work for these big finance companies. And I'm just like, I wanna watch anime and play video games. Like, that's, right. that's what I wanna do. No one's asking what I wanna do. So I, like, I was just like along for the ride. So I, I go from be, like, going to the school where like everyone looks and sounds like me and like is from my neighborhood to like going to, it was like gossip, it was gossip girl. Like, it was like my dad being like, do you know who Darwin goes to Darwin school? Like, blah, blah, blah. It's my dad in parent-teacher conferences, like, fangirling because Ben Midler's in class, and I'm like, please don't oh embarrass me. Oh, my God. Please, please don't embarrass me. So, like, I have this weird sort of, like, I, I consider myself this sort of, like, educational, exquisite corpse. Like, everyone got to project on little Darwin, like, who I should be and what path I was supposed to take, right? Darwin's too smart. He's too good for public school. He's going to go to this school. Like, Darwin's going to go to this college. Darwin's going to... So it's like, I never had any agency in my education, and everybody got to decide for me. And once I finally got to make those choices for myself, which was when I decided to get a master's <laughs> in what I wanted to study, like, things were very, very different. But, like, I viewed myself as, like, wow, like, here I am. I, I, I'm this, like, specimen, right? Like, white American culture... Like wealthy, wealthy white New Yorkers who feel bad about having too much money and were like, we're gonna pluck you from the ghetto, drop you in our school, <laughs> we're gonna teach you about us and our culture, and it's gonna make us feel better about ourselves. Yes. So like I even talked about this with my husband. I'm like, I'm like a C3PO for white people. Like, yeah. I just make them feel better because like I'm culturally competent. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I speak French and Latin. They're like, oh thank God, right? So <laughs> like it's and it's like, I can laugh about this now and I feel like I have a, I've made peace with like this, this path I took and I, and it's who I am, right? My education has made me who I, it's made me the strange, weird, Kazakh ski of like, of all of this stuff. I, I wouldn't change it, but it wasn't until I was older, I was like, oh, I, I get like why I'm this like Frankenstein person that like inhabits all these different identities and, you know, so it, it's very much like a double or like even a triple consciousness sometimes because of the different person that I've had to be. But like, 
like any bad bitch, like <laughs> I've, I've combined Sasha Fierce and Beyonce, like I've right. combined the many, and I'm just, I just Miley Cyrus like, and Hannah Montana. It's just me, and you're just gonna get me, and they're all different facets of me, and uh, yeah, like I'll fry you up some plantains and we can talk about those canapes, like that's what you're gonna get from <laughs> me, and that's me, that's me as a product of my education. Yes, I love that about you. Oh, I'm learning so much about you. That's what we love about you. But that's, I think that that's, like, my goal for this episode was just to provide this voice so that people could feel like there is no risk. It feels like a risk, and it feels like a scary thing, but there's no risk in allowing yourself to explore different narratives, to get to know people who have a different history than you do, just just for the sake of not only expanding your mind, but, but as you said, being more compassionate. Teaching your students to be more compassionate is the very start, I think, of what it takes to actually build a better world. And if we're going to start local, a better country, you know, uh, and, and, and everything you said about working on yourself and going to therapy and all of that, it's kind of the same thing as when I tell people that local elections matter as much as national elections. <laughs> you know, it's like if you're working on yourself then you project more goodness, you put more good information out into the world, you can change the people around you. And that creates a ripple effect that you might not see, you might not feel but it is very real yeah. and an education has the power to do that for sure and it's never too late i mean i'm probably the least educated in this room out of all of you no it's educated air quotes but no it's true like i was in the gifted track ap classes oh we all have uh, gifted, we all have gifted control yeah control. we can talk sure. about yeah, yeah, yeah. t-shirts that said we are gifted from soul to soul so s-o-u-l to S-O-L-E, and that's just... Oh, my God. I think that's the perfect tagline for yeah. our trauma. Yeah. Um, and, you know, growing up um, in middle school and high school, I was in drama theater, which I found wonderful. I loved reading plays, learning in that way. My parents were very much, um, you're not going to make money, make something <laughs> real. Yeah. So I was very much fed this capitalistic dream of, you know, I need to pick something that's going to give me a good life, excel in that, put my, you know, nose to the grindstone and just work, work, work. Ended up with my bachelor's in communication science and sociology, got this job. And to me, for a very long time, it was just work and be the best that you could be and everything will pan out and everything will be mm -hmm. awesome and great and that's not always the case that's that's false like it th good things happen to random ass people not necessarily because you're good or you put in the work and all just like bad bullshit. things mm -hmm. yeah exactly so it's never too late to learn and educate yourself more i mean with everything that happened in 2016. I, I could admit, I used to be one of those people that wasn't political in my 20s. I didn't give a fuck about anything if it didn't affect me. I didn't really pay attention. I mean, I voted, I voted for Obama. I, I did those things, but those were like the most minor minimum things I could do. And then in 2016, I started just listening more, reading more, being more aware, realizing that horrible things are happening to other people and that affects me in many ways. Um, and just reading more, I was always a reader growing up. I stopped for a very long time and then recently I picked it up again with the podcast. Um, I, was, I was that bitch, <laughs> like that six-year-old bitch with the last bookmark, <laughs> buying up all the books. I had a bookmark with a nightlight on it. It's like reading in the dark, like Nancy Drew is my girl. Um, the scholastic book fair. Yeah, what a me what a memory, core memory unlocked. So so don't ever feel 
like you're too far gone or that it's too late or that, you know, a shame that you didn't learn more sooner because there's always a chance to, to expand your mind. There's proof of that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. She, she essentially skipped everything and went straight to college. And learned about the Holocaust in undergrad. Yes. Like, who does that? So if, if you're scared, if you're embarrassed, do not be. Just pick up a book, read an article, dive in, expand your mind. Oh, my God. That's, like, the best. Alexa, that's, like, the best call to action. It is. And, and to add to that, I think that the most refreshing part of all of that is that you'll also find people in that same, you know, path. Yeah. You, you, I think that sometimes people think that liberation and education means isolation. It's not alienation. It's not alienation. Yeah. Quite the opposite. It actually brings you closer to other people. Like, I, I always use this as a very silly example, but it's so true. Me and Alexa, we're very different, right? In in, in our personalities and the things that we want and ways that we dress and all these things, right? We're very different people, but we share the same values. And sharing the same values is what keeps us tethered. And I encourage her forever, just as she encourages me forever, to be exactly who I am. So when you open your mind, when you do exactly as Alexa's asking you to do, go out there, read, meet other people, you find yourself among people who are not giving you a roadmap, quite the opposite. They're actually just trying to hold space for you so that you can be better for yourself in whatever definition that may be for you. Mm -hmm. That's really where the magic is. It's not be more like me. It's be more like you. Who is that? Ask yourself that question. Education can lead you there. And I'm not just talking about a formal education. I'm not just talking about the fact me with my double masters and the, however many fucking languages I speak or whatever. I'm not talking from that perspective. I'm saying having a conversation with someone who doesn't look like you. Yeah. Because we're never done. Never. We're never done. If you never. think you're done, oh, man. Oh, yo, 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 yo. you're in a bad spot. Yeah. That, that, that's... And that development is essential. That development is what we want, and we're going to forever... I mean, I, I hope that I look back on this podcast and that there are episodes where I cringe, because that means I learned. <laughs> it means I got yeah. better. It means yeah. that I have changed my mind. It means that I have expanded my knowledge, and that is what brings us to Alexa's <laughs> amazing journey. wine journey because this is the first time Alexa's doing something like this. I'm really excited because I can't wait to hear her try to not sound like a snob. I think that's going to be a great challenge. <laughs> but this wine selection is so cool because I think it's really great for people who didn't know a lot about wine, are learning about wine through the podcast, and have the ability to like suddenly realize how far they've come because they see a wine menu and they know what to pick all of a sudden, right? That's what Alexa always taught me. You've come a long way if you can look at a wine list and you can pick what you like. So this development, this idea of these of these two wines that Alexa chose today, I think is hilarious, but also very fitting in comparison to <laughs> the book that we chose. So cheers to that. Let's start with our tasting. So... <laughs> So this was initially, a, it's a very difficult book to choose wine for. I was kind of racking my brain around it. I'm like, the most appropriate thing would probably be moonshine, but <laughs> I'm not going that route. They live in 
Idaho, right? I'm like, is yeah. Idaho white? No, it's not white no. country. No, Idaho. <laughs> we do not. No, I don't want any of that. And so I, I was thinking and and just like figuring it out. And, and towards the end of the book, obviously, as I was trying to figure it out, she keeps referencing herself then and her family. You know, learning these really big untruths about life and everything and then her now with her formal education and expanding her mind her then and now then and now constantly and how she battled it out in her mind so i'm like hmm what would my then and now be with wine brilliant (laughs) totally brought me to yellow tail (laughs) what a transition alexa jeez so in college you know you're broke you're just you just want to get fucked up and and, you know after a couple years in college i was over hard liquor i was over keggers i was over all that bullshit so i'm like i'm going to be fina i'm going to drink wine This just gets better and better. <laughs> and and of course, you're poor or whatever. So you're like, oh, this bottle here at the bottom is very large and very cheap. Let me take this to the house party. <laughs> and that's where I began my relationship with Yellowtail. I'd usually grab either the Sauvignon Blanc or the Pinot Grigio. And today for us, I um, I grabbed the Pinot Grigio. I actually didn't grab the one that I used to drink because I couldn't find it on the shelves. This is a, Thank a, God. a new version. This is like, I, let me grab it really quick. This is called Pure Bright. Oh, and wow. wow. only 80 calories per serving. Oh. Oh, Jesus so Christ. So it's one of those. Lower in calories and lower in alcohol. I don't know why. It looks like water, that. Alexa. It's been a while since I've seen a yellow tail. Didn't they used to have a yellow, like an actual? Yes, they yes. used to label okay. on a okay. lot of these. Yes. Yeah, because they realized that, that was too. fucking weird. I noticed that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> let me, let me pour it. You're lucky this wasn't me bringing college wine because it would have been a box of Franzia uh, or a jug uh, of Carlo Rossi. Like, that's, wow. how, that's how bad it was. Then. No, but we all. <laughs> You don't have to pour too generously yeah, right. on that one, you know? Yeah, don't, don't worry about finishing it, because we have to do a side-by-side. Yeah. So I haven't had this wine in, like, 10 years. Okay. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting. But let me just, you know, kind of take a trip down memory lane with the history of this wine. Um, so I had never actually even been on their website, so I was very curious <laughs> if they even had a history or whatnot. And sure enough, they do. It all started in 1957 by Filippo and Maria Casella, who migrated from Sicily to Australia. Picture Sicily. Picture winemaking philosophy and then in 2001 John Casella uh, the family member had a vision for the Yellowtail brand and brought it to life that year their goal was to sell 25,000 cases and guess how much they sold that year 26,000 cases over a million cases <laughs> yes a million Brazilian cases <laughs> put that, put that pinky <laughs> Vegan on it, whatever that means. It's a very broad, broad <laughs> you know, 
yeah. <laughs> but um, but other than that, there's really not a lot of info on these wines, like harvesting, um, you know, where physically in Australia, where they come from. Um, I get it. It's the shine of wines. Yeah, exactly. Wines. It's, it's commercial. Yeah. It's bulk made. It's you're going to get the same thing every time. Um, you guys will notice I speak a lot about, oh, no, this has a vintage on it, actually. Oh, I was going to talk shit. <laughs> um, I was gonna say it probably doesn't have vintage on it, cause it but but I feel um, with this just like a Miomi or another wine, these are commercial wines that they want it to taste the same year after year. You're not gonna have year specific variation. variation. Yeah, you're not. They're gonna taste the fucking same all the time. So I'm shocked they even have a a year on it. But and that can also be like a in in the more like luxury realm as we did for last episode, yeah. right? So exactly. that's something to keep in mind. Exactly. So let's let's look at this baby. Okay. It's so I already pale. smelled it. It's so pale, you can't even it see it. Yeah. It looks like water. It looks like honestly this that's is water. You want to hear the most disgusting thing that's I'll ever say on this podcast? This looks like my urine when I'm about to get my labs and I drink a lot of water so that yeah. the lab techs are impressed with me. Yeah, it's very it's very hydrated pee. Yeah. Exactly. It's one kidney but hydrated pee. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm trying to, you know, just keep it positive. Yeah, and, and I'm not and I'm not trashing this wine as a as a way of saying like if you drink this wine right now you you're trash. No, at all, at all. I'm just saying that everyone has a different entry point and everyone evolves from that entry point and you know and there's a palette for every wine. We all start somewhere. We all start somewhere because I don't like this doesn't mean that the person down the street won't like it and etc. So I'm not at all saying you know anything bad in that sense like that you're bad if you drink this wine or anything i'm just saying that there's education behind wine the more you learn the more you expand the more you grow when i when i taught art history i would tell my students I'm like, well, the one thing we will not do in this class is make a judgment on the art yes I, you will never hear me say this is good this is bad this is no right like we we're going to talk about this and critique it along this set of guidelines but the judgment that's not happening so i feel like right it's the same yeah yeah we're, we're looking this through the same lens so let's let's snip it okay <laughs> no, no, I, was trying, okay. I get like one note right now so i'm trying to what are you getting around and see okay I, I think for me it's 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 opened up yeah at, at first at first blush, I was like, okay, tennis balls. <laughs> um, but now it's like... Lemongrass. Lemongrass. Yeah, I get hair. I do get the, like, the brightness and Christmas it of it. It's bright. Granny it's fresh. Smell. Very fresh. It's like zesty. Sweeter than I thought. Yeah. I think it tastes better than it smells. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I like it. But it's a lot of apple. Yeah. In the mouth too, more so. Like you get, I think, more lemon and those other notes on the nose and the mouth. I just, I just get a ton of apple right now. You're right, though. I do, I, I do think it's, it's quite sweet. It's, it's for Pinot Grigio. I expect, I would have expected it to be drier, and I'm getting apple like on the tongue. Yeah. Tropical and like um. Like a little bit of a tiny bit of heat and citrus. Yes. At the end. Well, this yes. is also a lower alcohol wine because it is their pure bright. So you're not going to get a lot of alcohol. It's at 8.5%. So that might have some. Why it's like less dry. 
are just, I'm trying to think of how they were balancing it out with everything, because it's, this would normally probably be like 11% mm-hmm. or around there, and it's right. 8.5. I, I don't hate it. I, I would die. No, I, I, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I don't love it. No, no. But I don't hate it. No, at all. No, but it's fine. It's, it's kind of, it's not as complex. It's very, like, you get the same notes. You're not, you know, taking sips and uncovering different complexity. Yeah. Like, there's a certain silkiness on your palate or anything of that. It's very drinkable. You know how, like, a good book, you can reread it at different times of your life, mm-hmm. and it will give you a different perspective, or you'll catch something different in it. It'll mean something different. That's not the case with this wine. It will always be the same. Yes, it will be consistent. It doesn't have, like, it, like like you were saying, Alexa, it doesn't have this, like, complexity, this depth where, like, exactly. This is a good Hufflepuff wine. That is such an insult. No, I, I'm a Hufflepuff. No, you're not. You're yes, a Ravenclaw. I'm totally Hufflepuff. I think you're I mean, a Ravenclaw. I, I believe in I, education should be egalitarian. No, 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 no smarts, no this, no that. Like, I accept them all. Teach I can't all. I can't tell you how to identify, but I identify you <laughs> as a Ravenclaw. <laughs> so, like, I, like, this is great for casual sipping. Again, like, I don't need yeah. to be challenged with every wine glass. No. I yes, exactly. I want to eat this with like nuts on a charcuterie board. Yeah, or, like, mm-hmm. with a nice like soft cheese. Yeah, this is a yeah. very sippable wine. It's not too alcoholic. It's not too any sort of way. It's yeah. very like easy drinking on a boat or in a pool or at a tailgate or it's very chill. But you know what you're getting. Yeah. And that sometimes that sometimes is enough for people and the beauty for people that they could find comfort in the fact yeah. that I know that this wine will always taste like this one. It's like the people in who watch The Office a million times over every night, yeah. even though I know everything that's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. <Like>. Parkour. <laughs> that's me with New Girl. <laughs> Or Seinfeld. Seinfeld. That's me with Seinfeld too. For me, it's Futurama. But apparently, that's like um, and this is like very therapy. But apparently, people who watch the same TV show over and over and over again are people who have not a great sense of control, and so therefore they appreciate knowing what's going to happen because it's like a release. Yeah. <laughs> Me watching Seinfeld and New Girl for the past like freaking ten years every night. Wonder why. <laughs> so yellowtail it is. Alexa, really, I, I, you know, I have to climb down. I changed my mind when I first sent it. I was like, okay, I'm not gonna like this one, but I want to come around. Like I, yeah. right, like this is a great. Hi, I'm going to the beach wine. Because it doesn't smell great. It, it tastes better yeah, than yeah. it's. Sorry, it's. It, yes, it tastes better than it smells. Absolutely, hundred percent. I think the nose is. At least in my glass, maybe because I keep. I think it's chilled out. It's chilled out. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. This is a little, a little. I don't know. I'm getting more of the so citrus now. Like, yeah, yeah. Before it was very much like lemon grassy. Now it's it's chilling more. And it's not. It's it's totally cool. Like I could totally drink this and not poo it. Like if if I went to like a tailgate and someone had this and they're like, oh, you want it? Yeah, I'm not bringing like my special wine, but no, like, I can yeah. just grab this and I'm like, I know what I'm getting. Yeah, exactly. Very chill. Um, this 750 milliliter bottle is gonna set you back a whopping 5.99. What? 
$5.99. What inflation? I <laughs> <laughs> think money up, honestly. It's like, is the glass worth more? Like, <laughs> inflation is temporary. Fascism is forever. <laughs> Soon, I can get a 1.5 liter bottle for $11.99. Wow. It's like a great time. It is. And it's available at most supermarkets. <laughs> I picked it up at Target. My college ass used to get it at Publix. So, my college is in a dry town, so we would have beautiful <gasps> this Dukes of Hazard thing. I was, I was the only kid with a, I got my fake ID. I had a fake ID since I was like 14. So, I was the only kid in Northeast Ohio with a fake ID. My friend had a car. We would drive two counties over. So, it's like queer brown kid just walking into like Wegmans. I was friends with them. I was like, hey, Barb, load up a thing full of alcohol. Shout out to Barb. And just distribute it through the like freshman dorms. That's how I got through my first two years of college. That's amazing. Like, that was my little business. That's brilliant. The brown kids are always that, man. The brown kids are always the fucking awesome. Yeah. Of course I do. You're like, hello. Who doesn't? You're like, I'm from Miami, bro. I think I went to like three or four before I turned 21. Fun fact, I never had a fake ID. But you were a goody two shoes for most of. I was a goody two shoes. And then you moved. And then I moved to Europe where I definitely didn't need one. So they were like, they were like, you're fine. Here's a cigarette. Enjoy. Enjoy your cigarette. Hi. And now, as we fit, you can, I'll cut this if you want to toss it or whatever. <laughs> no, but it's honestly not. I I came into this looking at it. I, I, I'm such a bitch. I like walked into the store and I grabbed it. I kind of cringed at myself and I was embarrassed. I didn't want anyone to see me. Yeah, you, you, you kept turning around in the hopes that like you didn't run into someone you know. I No, and before um, and before I came here, I went to the gym and I and I already had the bottle with me and it was hot. So I'm like, let me put it in the gym's fridge. So I like snuck it under my sweater and I was like throwing it in the She was like, Alexa's wine diary can't be caught. It can't be seen. No, you have a brand to protect. Yeah, you have a brand, bro. Yeah. And then I, you know, I left when the class was full and I'm walking by, like holding it like a football real tight to me. I can't bubble it. I'm like, leave me alone. Like Paul that time. I'm like, bye everyone. Bye, see you never. Like he's a label. And now I feel bad kind of doing it because it's not it's not as bad as I thought it was. We are all human. And now we're moving on to the next one. So I usually don't gravitate to Peter Grigio, but I'm always down for something different, something funky, especially from the Friuli region. So this one, um, Peter Grigio Il Bermato by Scarbolo, is completely different, completely out of the box. It's not what you think of when you think of Peter Grigio and Ramona and Turtle Time and all that basic stuff. So... Um, <laughs> for my housewife fan, but I mean, it's a cultural reference, but it's iconic. So, this Pinot Grigio is made in the Romato style, uh, which is actually a very traditional one. Everyone thinks that like skin contact is new and hipster and funky, but it's actually really ancient and goes back to a rich history. Um, and so, with in this winemaking process, they allow the grape skins to soak with the juice, which creates this beautiful orange.
orange hue that we're seeing in the glass right now. It's like this light orange, light pale kind of look, a little flecks of light amber. It's just a gorgeous color. You wouldn't think this is a white wine just by looking at it. You might think it's actually a rosé. That's what I thought first. Yeah. Like a rose gold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And the style is common in Friuli. It's Italy's premier region for complex, age-worthy Pinot Grigio. So, a little bit of history on Scarbolo. It's a boutique family winery established in 1982, today helmed by its third generation. So, it's another family affair mm. of Italians. They just stayed put and didn't go to Australia. Wise. <laughs> right. It comes from the Friuli Venezia Giulia uh, region, Italy's northern eastmost region near the Alps and the Adriatic Sea. It's one of the smallest regions of Italy and has a unique range of varied landscapes. Uh, we've talked a lot about microclimates in the past, and this one's no different. It uh, receives refreshing eastern winds and temperate sea breezes. It has influences from the Alps to the north and the hills separating them from the Balkan Peninsula and lots of different, you know, um, influences from the sea and whatnot. So the diversity of its landscapes is also reflected in the soils, as we've learned on this podcast. Soils affect how the wine tastes. It affects how the grapes grow. It's all about a sense of place here. So this is another one. They have uh, some of the oldest sedimentary rocks in all of Italy. Wow. Right? There's a lot of geology, wow. too. I've seen that. <laughs> you, you probably don't want to meet her around. Now is not the time to admit that you didn't have straight A's, Darwin. <laughs> I, I told my geology professor, I'm like, this is just good for like dinner table conversations. Oh, and here I am. <laughs> here you are. I'm reminded. I took one class because it was um, rocks for jocks. At <laughs> UM, they called it rocks for jocks. It was all the football team in there. Yeah, because you do the science credit. Yeah, exactly. Hello, same. Same I'm not happy an engineer here. I'm not happy Wow, I'm so glad I didn't go to school in America. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So these environmental features, together with this unique microclimate, allow for a much beautiful, slow ripening of the grapes and create the ideal conditions for the cultivation of the wines. Um, this family very much... Revere's Pinot Grigio and, and roots for this underdog. So they actually make four different styles of Pinot Grigio. We're trying this one of theirs today. And today the family farms 30 hectares of vines and produces about 200,000 bottles in a typical year and it's all farmed sustainably. So to give you a comparison here, because we're, we're comparing contrasting. So Yellowtail in their first year sold, was it 1 million cases? One million cases. Wow. This is 200,000 bottles. Bottles. A case has 12 bottles. So, oh, wow. so that wow. is the distinction between mass production and boutique production. It's just a very different playing field wow. here. So, math. Math. <laughs> not, not our thing. We're touching all, those core, all the core subjects. I know. I'm so bad at math <laughs> until I got to college and I had to take a few classes and they were like the most basic but I aced them. I fucking aced them. Not me. That was the best I, took I a, felt all my life. I took a class in college called Math for Life. <laughs> did they teach you how to do taxes, though? They did. That's, that's, well, that's what practical. we did. They taught me how to do taxes. They taught me how to balance a checkbook. Very outdated. But they taught me, like, actual practical things. So people can talk shit about my art history no. degree, but I actually got some real information in that class. That should be taught in public school and high school. 
I'm still doing like inner child work and therapy over math. Just math. I mean, that's yeah. more important. <laughs> I, have I support that. Yeah, I have one time sitting at a kitchen table at my dad's house, and I just catch a glimpse of myself and, and the, the frame, the glasses in the frame, and I just, I go back to, you know, 10th grade tutoring of math, and I just don't get it. Why yeah, I, I, needed, I needed a tutor, too. It was fucking horrible. Yep. I hated that shit. Yep. Alas, I am here with my communications degree. <laughs> uh, and, and what's cool, too, is on the label, you'll see some wheels on the design, and, and I thought this was really poetic and beautiful, but to them, wheels represent the cycle of life, which, though filled with changes and challenges, always offers an alternative, a second chance, a chance to improve and learn the lesson for tomorrow. Bam! I, I thought it was a beautiful message and paired so perfectly with educated as well. So what you just said is what basically took me an hour to explain in this <laughs> podcast episode. Great. You should thank them. S succinct. So let's get to the tasting. Obviously, we already talked about the color. The nose is completely vastly different. Yeah. Um, this is skin contact wine. Like I said before, it's made in the style of a red wine. So it's more um, tannic and aromatic. It's I get a little bit of like red fruit there. Yes. You get berries for sure. Yeah. For sure. And like fresh, not like yeah. that, like baked and burnt, but like the more fresh, very kind of refreshing, crisp. Yes, red, like, a red apple instead of green apple. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. like overflowing from the cornucopia. Like, yeah, yeah. Very it's bad. it's the yeah. painting of Caravaggio of Bacchus. Of ba yep, it's that. Wow, talk about art history degree. Let's go. Cheers. Fucking snob, <laughs> snob over here. No, it's nice. There's like melon. There's some spry. It's just like a, a way different Pinot Grigio style. And it develops. It. Yeah. it I feel like the there's longer it's in my glass, yeah. the more I'm. Like I, I, for me, the nose has like rose water almost. Like that's like I get that at the beginning, but melon for me. Yeah, for, for sure. sure for sure but I'm only picking up the melon now like that wasn't what initially hit yeah. me and that's the beauty when you have a complex wine it, there's all these layers that you begin to uncover and pick up the more you drink it the more it aerates the more you, you study it almost it's so like when you go to like Elliot Key or tailgating you're like the melon and the no don't bring this wine don't bring this wine <laughs> this is a thinker and a drinker but this is not like a tailgate wine. Yeah, don't be that girl. <laughs> don't be that girl. So I have a PowerPoint for my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I need to clean up some yeast in here. You're all the way in my As someone who doesn't have a right to be a wine snob, like that hurt my soul. <laughs> freshness in it there's a nice body like so i wish we had two glasses when you taste the yellowtail it's it's very watery on your palate it's yeah. very light it's very and then you drink this it coats your tongue yeah, yeah and yeah. it kind of lingers it's a bigger wine it's yeah. a more complex wine i mean just the fact that I have notes on it from the winemakers, how they made it, means that there's more to it. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, 
I wasn't gonna like say this, but like I'm a I'm a wino. Like yeah. I like I'm like wine country. Like I'm there. I'm down. Like my like for Dan's first the first birthday we were together. I'm like so we're gonna go to Rioja. And we went wine tasting in Rioja. When I was still a teacher, I was like I'm going to Napa. Yeah. Um, there's a whole Napa. Like I was at Napa and I I saw like real housewives just like day drinking and I'm just like goals like I that's what I want those ladies yeah like um where else I mean we 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 went to we went to Trieste like east of Venice Ah. in this region so we 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 sampled these types of wines like we're we're big we're wine snobs. I just love it. Own it. I love it. I think that's great. No we we have a wine subscription. Okay, so we're going and having more wine and dinner soon. Yes, yes, yes. Please. Yes. yes. We need the wine and dinner. Oh, yeah. So that brings me to um, this wine is an excellent food option because it has a lot of weight to it, a lot of complexity. It can sync well with a lot of foods, whether it be sushi or or lean meats or pastas. Like I, I it has some bite to it. It has lot to it that can stand up to food and guess the price point i'm gonna say something in the like 20-ish range just because we were talking about it earlier yes (laughs) yes you could get this for 20 24 dollars at vina and that is in the gables uh keep a skein and i forget i think they have a pop-up in south region i'm gonna go like you know, date night, yeah. special. No, yeah. it's it's affordable. It's not like a crazy fucking price. Like twenty dollars for a bottle that has five glasses in it, essentially. Like that's a great value. It's also yeah. way cheaper than like going to Italy and yes. an extra suitcase and buying the wine and wrapping them in three pairs of socks. Obviously. And getting them through customs. <laughs> This is a much better, better option. I would have said this is more in like the sixty-four dollar oh range. <laughs> you, you can share that if you'd like. I'm gonna share the story because okay. I'm well. because I'm an asshole. <laughs> I went to buy this wine today. Alexa always takes care of the wine, but the wine is the wine store is very close to my house. So I went to go pick it up and it was pouring. So I wanted to get in and out of there real quick asked for the wine and they scanned it and they charged me and I'm an irresponsible consumer. So I didn't look at the receipt or listen to what she said. I was just, you know, chatting it up, not paying attention. They charged me $64 for this wine. Okay. So I called kindly, kindly. Alexa is my witness. Cause I, that's I not always the case. No fucking way I would get us a Pinot Grigio at $64 for this one. And if I would have paid attention and seen the receipt when I actually paid for it, I would have been like, Oh, this is wrong. Cause Alexa would have never chosen that. However, I chose to like an irresponsible consumer look at the receipt in the car. And I was like, Oh man, I fucked up. Didn't I? So I called, they adjusted the price, but just, you know, this is a cautionary tale, guys. Pay attention to what people are charging you for your wine because they could very easily charge you for another wine that's similar or, you know, same grape variety and they just chose another bottle in the system. So just, you know, go out there and be careful, guys. And don't be afraid to kindly bitch at them if you think you've been robbed. Yeah. Absolutely. No, don't don't suffer any fools. Mm-hmm. Say what you gotta say. Yeah. Exactly. So this has been such an amazing podcast episode. Thank you, Darwin, so much for joining us. You're welcome.
Thank you for having me. It's amazing. Well, we would have you back anytime. You're a great guest. I got to nerd out and got a little buzzed. Yeah, we, we need to get you on our Eurovision episode so we can talk about our trauma. <laughs> With a good time. <laughs> <laughs> so, like always, make sure you subscribe to our podcast newsletter, follow us on Instagram, uh, shop our Etsy store, get some great merch. We still have the abortion merch up, which go proceeds go to Planned Parenthood, so please do that. Um, rate us, review us, do all the good things for us. And Unless you're going to give us one star like that one asshole. Yeah, then fuck off. We don't need you here. Oh, God, okay. Right? I'm like, who the fuck is this person? We'll, we'll find like, them. Obviously, we'll we'll find them. <laughs> but yes, uh, and like always, that's the end of the episode. Cheers. Cheers to all of you, and thank you. Cheers. Salud. Salud.